This is the Souls of San Francisco podcast by Souls of Society. I'm Dijon, founder of Souls of Society. Each week, we connect with a member of our community to hear their story and get to know them better so we can strengthen our community bonds. Today, we are here with a very special guest, Adam Apollo. He's someone that's peripherally been in my circles and I became more familiar with him when I saw online that he was offering a Jedi training school and it seemed like maybe it was one of those things on Facebook you see as a joke but then when I started clicking through to the website it definitely did not seem like a joke and it was very intriguing so I wanted to connect with him to figure out exactly what it is. So Thanks for being here, Adam. Thank you, Dijon. I'm honored to be here with you today. Could you just tell us what this Jedi school is? Or <laughs> Sure, certainly. It's um, not exactly marketed as a Jedi school. However, it has, has held that name, that mystique, and that energy for, for some time in social circles. Uh, it's called the Guardian Alliance. And... It's a school for self-mastery, self-development, and self-reflection. We take people on journeys into the process of exploring your key powers and archetypes so that you can master the gifts that are innately inherent to you already and also find the places where you're challenged in life. Like Locate those spots that really challenge you the most in the field of life's options, opportunities, um, and and go at those directly, using your greatest gifts to then awaken gifts inside the places where your greatest challenges are. Um, and we do this, you know, with an envelope of principles. So everything that we do at the Guardian Alliance is about developing human sovereignty. It's about bringing forward the goodness in all people, compassion for all people, no matter where they're coming from, what their their civilizations, social or societal structures are, um, and and promoting acceptance and and really principles of guardianship, and that's why it's called the Guardian Alliance, is that we're asking people to step forward and become guardians of the future they want to see on this planet and of the future civilization that we are cultivating right now. And so to become a part of the Guardian Alliance, you know, we're asking people to come in and master themselves and understand what it means to be a powerful leader in this world and step forward with tools to engage your sacred purpose in the world to bring great change and help to steward others in making those changes as well. That's a pretty excellent summation. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like uh, I've witnessed a lot of like healing and empowerment courses and classes Mm -hmm. in my time in the Bay Area. And yours has a very like unique and specific um, way of phrasing itself. And especially on your website, it feels very cosmic and, Mm. um, you know, intergalactic. Um, and I spend so much time talking to people that truth resonates 
with me through the tones of their voice and the feeling in my body when they speak it. And even though these things may not have much reference point, like they feel very true to me. Mm. So Mm -hmm. could you expound more upon the galactic connections, if there are any, and um, how you got introduced to this world? Yeah, sure. I mean, first I'll just address the the piece around Jedi. And I mean, that's, that's always a big question for people. And to tell you the truth, the way that it unfolded um, about 10 years ago was that I began teaching these workshops. Um, I've been teaching lots of workshops and taking on students uh, for you know, for literally 20 years. So for 10 years before that. Um, but, but about 10 years ago, I formalized some of my teachings, um, coinciding with being in the Bay area more often, actually in San Francisco area. And, and my package of formal training, uh, I called guardians of destiny at the time. And these trainings were specifically, uh, discovering the human energy field and energy body, learning how to work with and shape energy elementally and also in terms of frequency and also using geometry to change the shape of the energy inside your body and outside your body. And I taught people tools uh, to sense energy and to be able to awaken psychic abilities to detect changes in the energy field around you and interpret those changes appropriately. And then we teach additional layers, like how to weave energy to create changes in your life, manifesting things, um, you know, creating vision boards and vision pathways, uh, creating more synchronicity in your life. And we additionally teach you how to use your different layers of your energy body to do things like astral travel. Um, and those astral travel practices can extend to traveling around this planet to sacred sites and to special places maybe you've never been before. Um, But they also extend to potentially traveling off-world, to exploring other worlds out there around the galaxy. And so I was doing these these full package trainings, really dropping people in. And, you know, there's lots of martial arts applications and movement applications, breathing, tantra, sex. I mean, you name it, you can apply energy body work to all kinds of fields. But the main thing that people came out of the workshops with is they'd, they'd be going in and they'd be telling their friends they went to this like Jedi training you know, at, at Adam's, you know, place and you should go check it out. Go check out Apollo's Jedi training, man, you know, and it just, it just stuck. And, and I actually started for a while. I just for fun, I was like putting Jedi training intensive, you know, on my workshop description. And, um, and I even had people from LucasArts that were talking about my work, um, being like, who is this guy? He's doing Jedi trainings. Is he licensed by us? You know, and I thought, well, you know, I could, I could get into trouble if this got really big. Um, but as I, as the Jedi frame came around it, I really began to realize how appropriate that term actually was. And I started doing some really deep research and I discovered that there is a, a few origins of that word. Um, one of the most appropriate is that in Egypt, there's two different tales about Jedi. Um, one of them uh, is, is said to be an individual 
um, a high-level magician or magi who was named Jedi with a DJ, uh, E-D-I, um, <clears throat> and that this individual was uh, somehow a very, very high-level architect and magician and had taught the pharaohs how to build the pyramids. Um, <laughs> so that's one story, which it's quite interesting to think that there would be some random person who's taught the you know, taught the uh, pharaohs how to build the pyramids. If you know anything about how the pyramids are built, you know, you know that there is quite an incredible a level of skill and mastery that's gone into it. The other story of the Jedi in Egypt is actually of a whole group of people. It's actually of a whole family of, uh, or tribe of individuals who were said to be very, very high level initiates and magi who were training Egyptian initiates, um, may have had to do with translations of the architecture in Egypt and things like that. Um, and, and nobody really knows exactly where Lucas got the name from, uh, but that's a pretty, pretty high level, uh, option I would say. Mm. And the more I've, I've dived into it and explored it, the more I've realized that that the idea of a galactic guardian, the idea of someone who is completely dedicated to some foundational principles that bring peace and sovereignty and justice and honor, you know, to communities around the world um, and around the galaxy is certainly something that we should be aspiring to. It's something that you know, our, I would say the police forces on this planet need a lot more of. Um, and so it's okay as a banner and a badge and for somebody to aspire to being a Jedi. And, and truthfully, it's a great gift for anyone to learn to master the force in themselves. Okay. That is a lot of incredible information. And my next question is, how did you get turned on to this? <laughs> you were asking where Lucas got Jedi from, where did you get it from? Mm. Well, <clears throat> that takes me back to a time when I was about 15 years old. And I was a, I was a disgruntled, depressed teenager um, listening to uh, U2 songs, heartbroken, and uh, struggling with the reality of the crap that our school system was laying on us um, and the, the just all of the unanswered questions I had with teachers and all the ways that I felt like the world was lying to me. It, it just felt like, like media and school and I just, I had this deep nagging sensation that, that I was being lied to like all over the place. I always felt that way too growing up. And it's, it's tough when you're feeling that, you know, as a, as coming, especially coming out of middle school where it's like, there's nothing in middle school, but, you know, bullies pushing people around and people, you know, having to try to stand up for who they are, but they don't really know who they are. So everybody tilts towards whoever the most loud, obnoxious and forward person is. And, and those people are certainly not good role models, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, and and so I I came kind of I was coming out of a period of a lot of of personal stress, and um, and I had also just discovered the internet really and fully, and I was using the internet 
um, at this time as a freshman in high school. I didn't want to make any friends. I was like, man, fucking, this is a bunch of crap, you know? <laughs> so I, I was just go home and I would just get on the internet and I'd explore the internet. I learned how to pick locks. I learned how to turn on and off, you know, cable lines and phone systems. I learned how to hack. I learned that, you know, there's all this power and in information if you just put your mind to exploring information. But even though I found all this great information online, there were still all these questions I couldn't answer and I couldn't find answers to. And so a brother of mine, um, his name is Christopher Oriana, is one of my best friends of all time. Um, and I used to kind of philosophize and discuss some of these questions. And the questions we were marinating on at the time, um, the real key ones were, how is it possible that you can feel something on your skin when someone is looking at you from across the room. If you feel a tingle on your neck because somebody's looking at you, how is that possible? There is nothing in science that explains that. Nothing in, let's just say, modern science um, or you know the, the existing scientific paradigm. And, and nobody's given answers for that. How do you think you know, how do you think about somebody and then the phone rings and it's them? Is that totally just completely random? Like, is it, is it, is it a coincidence, you know, that that happens? What about when that happens a lot? How is it that almost everyone has had that experience? That level of randomness and coincidence is too high for mathematical probability. I mean, it's just out of the park. It's like, it's like winning the lottery. And if it's happened to you more than once, it's like winning the lottery twice, right? Those odds are too good for there not to be a functional reason and science behind that. And so we started to explore that as well as other things, you know, stories about Qigong masters, you know, like cooking or some guy cooking something with his hand, you know, like, you're like, wow, that's, that's just not even possible. This is just total, you know, BS or something. Um, but then there's all these questions that don't get answered in school. And the next thing you know, you're starting to experiment with like, what is it? How could you feel somebody's eyes from across the room? And this led us to an experiment where we put our fingertips together um, creating some space between our fingertips and looking at the space between the fingertips. Um, and this was after trying like gazing at our palms or gazing at somebody else's palm to see if they could sense the feeling of the gaze. And we were picking up some kind of sensitivity there. And then I remember the first moment when I brought my fingers apart and I saw streams of energy between my fingertips. They look like little smoky lines with little sparks. And something in my head just popped at that moment. Something just opened up. And I realized that there was something going on in this world that was not being taught in school for some reason. It was not being shared with the masses. It's not being talked about. It's been pushed aside. Why? Why is this missing from our culture? Why is this missing from our society? And to me, it was like finding the force. And it actually felt like that at that moment, like we had just discovered the force. And 
we started experimenting. We started doing blindfolded martial arts, locating hidden objects across the room, you know, like spinning around 20 times, putting your hand out and having to locate something, you know, that's all the way on the other side of a room. Um, and we realized that there is a whole world of sensitivity, awareness, and consciousness that uses this underlying energy field to operate. And yet somehow it's been completely left out or removed from our modern society. What I found after a little bit of exploration on the internet is that it's not a new thing. That for thousands and thousands of years, people have studied and mastered the use of this energy. All of the ancient martial arts traditions, Qigong, Tai Chi, all of the yogic traditions going back thousands and thousands of years, indigenous cultures, how do they speak to the wind? How do they call the rain? How do they talk to the animals? How do they project their consciousness into the eyes of an eagle that's flying over the land in order to gain perspective on the land? This is something that they talk about in many, many stories in many different indigenous traditions. Um, aboriginals, it, there's stories of aboriginals going up and projecting outside of the Earth's atmosphere and, and talking to astronauts. There are astronauts who have had experiences looking out a window and they thought they saw an aboriginal person floating outside the window. How is that possible? And, and so, you know, for me, it was like the floodgates opened and I began to remember so much in myself that I had somehow already known, but I had just forgotten about it. There was like a little shell of a belief system put in place that as soon as I broke that shell, all of a sudden all this innate wisdom and knowledge, ancient knowledge began coming through me. And I realized that the easiest way for me to integrate that knowledge is to teach it to others. So I started showing friends, teaching friends, how do you build an energy ball? How do you weave it? I started going to huge dance parties and dancing with energy balls and learning from other kids who were dance, obviously dancing with energy, whether or not they articulated it that way or not. And I found huge subcultures that were fully opening and exploring this awareness of this deeper level of our reality. I think all I have to say is, wow. <laughs> um, I definitely am aware of these subtle realms because I've experienced them, but I don't think I could articulate it in that way, nor have I gone as deep as you have into exploring it with the hidden object test or the dancing with Qigong, but Listening to you talk about it makes me feel like that's kind of all I want to do. It makes <laughs> yeah. everything else fun. seem kind of petty in a way, mm. you know? Mm. Um, so seeing as you are in touch with this deep level of reality that most people aren't, I'm curious as to what your experience is when you have to interact kind of in a normal human capacity, you know, doing all the things that we have to do to... You know, go to the grocery store or like, you know, do your taxes or mm. interact with people who aren't on this level. And I'm saying that 
most people probably aren't aware of these things because, as you said, our society is not set up for people to have this information. Mm-hmm. Like you can't have this conversation with everybody, right? Well, you can, um, but there's different entry points for each person, you know. The thing is that I, I began to realize, even when I was in high school, was that people use these abilities, but they don't really know or articulate them as, as being something special or, or being some kind of different ability. Like, there, there were, and you can probably relate to this, if you're in high school, there's groups of friends which somehow seem so tuned in with each other that it's like one of them has a thought to leave and the other three already know we're going to leave and they're already like ready to go. Mm-hmm. And and it's like this subtle telepathy that's happening between groups of people and I saw it a lot in, in the dance party scene because I, I had bros who uh, at the time were teaching me how to spin drum and bass and were, would play records and stuff. And I'd watch and, and play in these tag teams you know, with drum and bass records. And these guys were so sharp and so on it. And the, the way that they would adjust the vinyl you know, speed to, to get the mix on like just like that, super tight, like the the littlest touch and the little awareness shifts and like the little glance at one person and they know they're up next, you know, like the way that energy was flowing was like highly precise, very, very clear communication with no words. And, and I realized that there people are really proficient at this, especially groups of strong friends um, at using some of these abilities and also athletes, you know, applying, secrets of their mind and their thoughts to how they're going to do something. I mean, even even as early as middle school, if you have parents, you know, training their kids to be good athletes and they're they're learning the insights of the Olympic athletes and the high-level sports guys and then teaching the kid, you know, all you got to do is clo- still your mind, you know, don't think of anything, just watch that ball as it's pitched. You know, and and don't think of anything. And when you swing the bat, it's going to be right on time. You know that that is a secret right there to the keys of using your energy and using your deeper sensitivity to reality. But but there's not a clear articulation of it in in our society. It doesn't get exposed except you know nowadays. Much it is much more exposed because if you take any kind of course on performance enhancement, on flow, on athletic enhancement, you know, and any, you know, even business success, all of those things, you will find all of these ancient wisdom principles that have now been woven into that because they work. They absolutely work. Right. Like the secret or think and go rich and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, the secret exposes, you know, attraction and manifestation massively openly and and talks about energy openly. Um, But, but even in, what I would say, you know, is even more just mainstream guides to, you know, success and consciousness. There's a lot of, of these key principles and teachings, you know, built in. Um, for me, I'm just really interested in, in finally like pulling up the skirt and revealing that, by the way, this is, this is ancient wisdom of ancient peoples. We got to like honor the lineages that are here. We have to, we have to honor where this is really coming from. And 
and start to accept the fact that what we're talking about is is transpersonal science and transpersonal psychology. It is a it is a fully scientific medium of exploring our reality. It's used a lot in the psychology world, um, and and it's also the means of study that indigenous people used for science. But this is a real active science now in this time, and it's really important that it starts to get treated like a science because the more it is the more it's going to be able to feed into our understandings in biology and physics and you know across across all kinds of fields and there are immense gifts um, that come with integrating that understanding into into a more scientific more stable more like down-to-earth understanding that this is part of of our existence and we can't ignore it hmm. so you were talking about people, these Jedi being stewards for peace, for not just their own communities, but galactically also. And you also talked about aboriginals projecting themselves into space. How much knowledge or experience do you have with space beings or aliens or other worlds? Hmm. Well, that's a deep question, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I'll show you how far the rabbit hole goes. Um, you know, it, th first of all, I'll just say, you know, one of the first things that I really got a strong dispelling around is, is this word alien. Um, it's so funny. Because we use this word alien and we talk about illegal aliens coming in this country. Who are they? They shouldn't be here, right? It's alien to us. It's foreign to us. It's a word that inherently means something we do not understand. Or we don't want to understand. Or we don't want to be in our space. It's an invader, right? It's something other than us. And... It's pretty funny when, imagine if we were like, you know, we didn't know somebody and we're at the grocery store and we don't know them. We're like, oh, that, that's an alien. That's an alien. You think we're ever going to meet and connect with that person while we're holding that idea? Probably not. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I realized is really prevalent in our culture and even, you know, in the, in the mainstream society's process of starting to deal with the UFO phenomenon with the alien phenomena, with the extraterrestrial phenomena. It's a major thing right now. You know, it, there are huge statistics showing that people do know that this is an issue. They do believe it's been a cover-up. It's, it's not some sidelined thing that's like, you know, the freaks come out and it's like they talk about their UFOs, you know, and they're all Trekkies. No. It's that the Trekkies are normal business guys and <laughs> men and women, and they just love Star Trek. Why? Because it resonates with some part of what they feel like is true about their lives, about society, about cultures, about you know species and and consciousness. And and also many of them have had, and many 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 people have had encounters with what they thought was a starship. Um, and have had dreams of meeting beings of other kinds uh, or are being, being on other worlds. Um, so I just kind of lay that out just as a little bit of a groundwork. And 
uh, I'll, I'll tell you my story a little bit around it, which is, uh, you know, in brief, I saw my first starship when I was really little, and I didn't have any clue what it was. I thought maybe I dreamed it afterwards, but I saw a massive bright light fly over my head over this lake. I was maybe seven at the time, and I was walking at night um, outside of my house by this lake because it was a really beautiful night and lots of stars out, Red River, New Mexico. This huge light came down, brilliant, shined over the lake, and then zoop over the mountain. I told my mom, she was like, whoa, that sounds really crazy. I, I don't know, you know, like, I have no idea what it was, Adam, you know. Years later, I was a teenager driving with my dad and my stepbrothers in the car. My stepbrother freaks out. He says, get out of the car, get out of the car. We jump out. There's a triangle of lights literally weaving back and forth across the sky and then like shooting down over the horizon. We all saw it. It was not any kind of craft I've ever seen on this planet, for sure. It's spinning three lights, you know, weaving across the sky and then shoots off. Um, and then I, so I always, and I always like had a logical sense in my waking up process that, well, it makes sense. You know, there would be other cultures on other planets. Like, why would we think we're the only ones? There's 200 billion stars in this galaxy and in a pinhead on the sky, according to, you know, Hubble deep space telescope, there's thousands and thousands of galaxies in one little tiny pinprick in the sky. So, the scale itself proves to me that there would be other cultures and other species. In 2001, I met Stephen Greer, and I've learned about the Disclosure Project. Um, he showed me that there was, you know, at that time, 500-plus witnesses from the CIA, NSA, FBI, pilots, astronauts, you know, the head counsel of the Iran-Contra hearings. I mean, these are serious people. And they all have massive testimony that there are over 50 different extraterrestrial species we've documented, that there are spacecraft that have been recovered on this planet and technologies we've recovered. We've built reproduction vehicles. We've built free energy systems that run on the quantum vacuum of space-time and produce energy, that all of these things are real, that there are groups that literally filter every photo that comes in from NASA before it goes into public archives and for public consumption. Um, that there's an entire infrastructure around this whole secrecy. Um, and that there's been a reason for this secrecy, which has been fear of panic in the, in the public. And that the government did its best to make decisions to keep the public safe, you know, and not create a massive, crazy catastrophe panic like what happened when the War of the Worlds radio show was released in the 50s. And there was mass panic. People thought it was real. Um, and so some of that game has still been being played, but I think it's a different game now, which is actually a game about the advancement of technology and economy. Um, if you release some of these technologies openly and fully without any kind of oversight or any kind of you know staging process, you're talking about disrupting the entire socio-economic structures of the world because the major banking systems and powers on the planet, the largest corporations on the planet, the biggest money control on the planet 
is centralized around oil companies and energy systems and energy companies. And so when you completely take away all of that power and put that power in the hands of the masses and all the people, well, you've got a very different world. And, and you've got a very, very different structure to this planet. And also, when you start having the ability to travel to other planets and other worlds, you know, with starship technology, you also massively change the game. You take away all the edges of the playing board. And so how do you control societies like that? How do you control economies like that? So this is all the logical end of the, of the, of the process for one why this stuff has been hidden and you know what kind of strategies are are that we got to kind of address to look at opening up this information to the masses and also um, doing the process of disclosure and distributing these kinds of technologies and changing all of our lives and going into what what is the real actual Star Trek experience so but personally for me all of that Knowing all of that, becoming aware of those processes, that was all still just logic. That was all just still putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Then in 2005, I had a massive, massive experience um, in my first Burning Man. And I had this experience totally sober, out in the middle of the desert. It wasn't involved in, with any of the uh, you know, specific things that were parties or whatever at Burning Man. This was a very deep personal experience that I had. And in my experience, what I was able to do was heal a part of myself that had been blocked for a very long time. And when I say a very long time, I mean across thousands of years. And without giving the listeners uh, deeper context, I'll just say that over some points in my life, I had experiences with a massive amount of other people, hundreds of other people, in fact, that verified for me beyond the shadow of a doubt that I have lived multiple lifetimes on this planet. And in this experience in particular, I was able to, with my father, from a time period which we call the Age of Atlantis, um, I was able to heal some very, very deep trauma from that time period. And when I healed that trauma and when I cleared that, um, that space in my energy body and the stream of myself and my memory, I was able to then access a memory and an awareness of myself as being an ambassador from a dual sun system. And I was aware that we call this star system the Syrian or the Syrian system or Sirius A and B and that I was part of an alliance of planets and, um, and a council of beings from all over the galaxy who wanted to help humanity um, and earthlings, the earth humanoids, become a part of this larger galactic family. And I very viscerally became aware of this knowledge and exactly how I traveled here to be born as a human exactly the process of how different species had been sending starseeds to Earth to mate with humanity, to create offspring that were slightly genetically different than other humans, that would be perfect offspring to receive 
beings actually traveling as souls, dying and traveling as souls to be born on Earth as these human human extraterrestrial hybrids um, that would then, you know, literally aid as humans, the other humans, in going through a process of awakening and realizing they're part of a much bigger picture and, um, and actually learning how to join this larger galactic society. And so I was part of this, this family of, of beings that came here at that time, and most of the people that I know um, that are my close friends were also part of that, and they know it. Um, it's taken them years sometimes to really get it and figure it out, but most of us know now why we came here and what we came here for. And we've been here for 13,000 years, you know, since the end of the last ice age. And we've been doing that work for a very long time. Um, and now I believe it's actually time to complete that work. And I knew at that time in the desert with the memory that I had that it was time for me to start completing that work. And so I went deeper into the desert and I ended up encountering a physical being from another planet that I knew was not human, that she had a very different bone structure in her face. Um, I had my first kind of contact experience. And then I had an experience where I astrally traveled and met ambassadors from species from all over the galaxy, um, 73 of them um, at the time. And I began at that point to experience my life as a process that's not devoid of or separate from a larger picture. But I began to realize that my life and my purpose and my experience as a being is inextricably interwoven with a larger process that's going on with beings all over the universe and all over this galaxy in particular. And I realized that these beings were not just different hyperdimensional whatever. Like, we're not talking about ninth dimensional beings on a higher frequency level that are not physical. We're talking about beings that have integrated higher levels of awareness of space and time and consciousness and spirit and are also physical. And they can travel and project their consciousness with their astral bodies as proficiently as any master yogi. And they can go and project to other planets and they can also pilot starships that leverage that technology to travel between star systems, meet with other beings, you know, share tea, and, you know, <laughs> take a poop if they need to, right? Like, it's not, we're, uh, and there, there are, of course, and let me just say this, for those people that are listening in that have had a lot of information perhaps coming into them lately from a lot of angles about, you know, fifth dimensional beings and sixth dimensional beings and seventh dimensional beings and, and all these dimensional beings that are physical and non-physical, usually talking about non-physical beings. Let me be really clear. There are an infinite number of realms out there. There are many kinds of astral and spiritual beings and bodies in existence. There are many planes of existence and realms in which consciousness lives and explores. There, there is also 
physical planets around physical stars all over this galaxy and all over every galaxy. And there are beings that evolved, that chewed their fingernails, that picked their ears and picked their noses, that used the restroom, that have learned to build starships, that have sex, that travel the universe. So don't look out into the stars and be like, gosh, I wonder what will happen when I'm a multidimensional higher level being because you already are one. You always have been. You are a multidimensional being. You have consciousness on a spiritual level, on an astral level. You can go to the celestial heavens and still be sitting in your car and chilling. And that is a part of the capacity of what it means to be alive, to be a living being. So there is no ascension you have to get to. If we're going to ascend at all, it's going to be in perspective and learn how to see our planet as a whole. Learn how to see all the people, all the races, all the cultures, all the species, all the animals, all the trees as part of a living organism together. We're going to see that we're not alone. We're going to see that there is cultures so far beyond what we've even conceived that that it looks like science fiction. But so did the internet. So did a computer. So did the fact that I can pull this device out of my pocket and record this. So the fact that we're even recording this right now, everything I'm speaking, so that people around the world can listen to it later. It's all science fiction until it's science fact. And there is so much incredible, inspiring, scientific fact that we can begin exploring together now. And so much of it is critical for us to get where we're going. Because the world is changing. The times are changing. We are changing. And <sighs> I invite you to be part of that change. I invite you to step up and realize that we each are individually the powers that are needed to make the changes that are going to happen in this world. We're going to do it, and we're going to do it by gaining perspective. And we're going to do it by applying that perspective to our mission and our purpose and what we live to do each day. Wow. That's powerful stuff. And I can say that none of it feels far-fetched to me at all. You know, the path I've been on is very similar to yours, how I grew up, how I always thought that things weren't being shown to me, how I was always asking questions that other people either weren't interested in or were bothered by. Like I was triggering people by being uh, aware of certain realities. I remember I used to lie in my bed and scare myself by thinking about how big space was. Like for some reason I could just picture it, you know, I could just see in my mind the immensity of it. I'd be like, whoa, you know, just freaking myself out because I had no one really to like talk to about it or explain where these visions were coming from. Yeah. And specifically, you know, when I was inspired to move out to the Bay Area and, you know, I feel like the Bay Area is a very specific, uh, like nodal point of the Earth's mm. um, system because so much information like comes from here, you know, like... Mm -hmm. 
the way the world is communicates or, you know, culturally or technologically, like so much of it comes from here, you know, Apple and Google and Facebook and Twitter, but not only that, but like, you know, Tupac and the Chili Peppers and Hollywood and like, there's just so much. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also feel like it's a, you know, a portal and it is maybe you would know him better than I would, but it does seem like a, a high number of beings decide to like descend or travel from wherever they come to this place. It just feels like mm-hmm. dense in that, mm-hmm. that part of our reality. Um, and when I started doing this project, I really connected to a subtle bottle of energy um, in a specific subject. I remember it was this man in North Beach who looked like a rabbi. He was a Hasidic Jewish man. And he seemed to be in deep stillness, but also in motion. And you Mm. could feel like the waves of vibrations coming off of him. Mm. And after I took his picture, he brought me up to his room, which was wall to wall in books about the Torah. And he was trying to have this like deeply religious, spiritual conversation with me and tell me all of these things. Mm. Almost in the way you're telling me all of these things now, but the difference is now, you know, we're resonant frequencies, so I can understand what you're saying and they make sense to me because of the experience that I've had. Mm. But at the time, you know, I understood that he was communicating with passion, but it just wasn't, you know, it was just mm-hmm. like he's on a different wavelength. Right. But since then, I've been in touch with this energetic awareness that has led me from person to person in synchronistic situation to synchronistic situation to the unfolding of now, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. along the way, there have been a lot of huge signs and experiences. And, um, you were talking about Syrians. What's come up in my reality a lot is Arcturians. Mm. I was in Hawaii once and hitchhiking around and meeting people and would just say what was on my mind. And I remember one guy gave me a book just in the middle of a conversation. He just said, I think you're supposed to have this, right? And he gave me a sacred geometry set and it said keys of the Arcturians. And I was like, all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they look like crop circles. Mm-hmm. And what you do with them is you stare at them like with the mind's eye. So mm-hmm. you soften your gaze and you allow it to make kind of a retinal imprint Mm -hmm. that I think triggers something. And then there's a back to it, which has like the blueprint of that crop circle. Mm -hmm. You trace that because I feel like doing it with your hand gets the information in in a different way. Mm -hmm. And then you read about it in the book. Mm -hmm. So I would be working with this deck and also staring at my flower of life, which is up on the wall, and just getting these new waves of energy that I feel like we're going beyond mental understanding and just to some deeper energetic or bodily understanding that allowed my synchronistic intuition to become more attuned. Mm-hmm. So then when I was going out in the world to connect with people, I was just very much drawn to these energetic reflections. Mm-hmm. that would tell me the information that was essential to my elevation at that moment. <laughs> Beautiful. Which the current moment is you. Mm-hmm. So, thank you. yeah, thank you. I mean, I feel really grateful to be here. 
And I know the journey never ends and there's always further to go, but this seems like a clear point in this whole process of the work that you were talking about doing and the work that I feel like I'm doing also. Because I've had that experience before. The first time I went to Maui, I remember being on the beach and I like looked around and I could, I like saw everyone and I recognized everyone on the beach. Like I recognized them in the eye and I also felt like I had been there before a long time ago and that we had all agreed to do this work or do this game and a revolution had been completed and we were back where we started but at another level. You know, like at that spiral staircase where you, you know, pass light and dark and you come back to the same place, but at a higher perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot to take in, but it also feels very much true. And I definitely agree that this time feels like the most exciting time to be alive and be present and have so many opportunities to do this type of work. And yeah. to have this technology to spread this information and for the kids that are lying in bed now thinking about how big the universe is, they have something to relate to and to say, oh, I'm not crazy. This is not just in my head. You know, there are other people having the same experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and since you do seem so well versed in this stuff, I'm just going to ask you specifically insight into my specific situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a lot of different people tell me about Arcturians and give me information on Arcturians. Mm -hmm. And I remember one woman specifically was telling me when I started this project, I was much more intense in like my search. And I feel like now that I'm four years in, I'm more relaxed because I, (laughs) I'm like, okay, it's going to (laughs) happen. You know, it's not like, I don't have to rush to get there. That's right. Um, And she was like, Oh, sweetheart. Like, at some point you'll realize you don't have to do anything. She was Mm. like, you just have to look at people. You are a gift. Mm. And that didn't make sense to me at the time. But now it is starting to make sense because I feel like there's some amount of cellular memory that gets transferred during eye contact. Yeah. And when I'm walking around connecting with people and just looking people in the eye, especially now that I'm so blissed out all the time, it's like sending a certain amount of high vibrational frequency light that triggers some of this deep understanding that you've worked so hard to get and Mm -hmm. I've been searching for. Mm -hmm. So people intuitively just feel it and they like respond on some level. Yeah. That, yeah, like I feel this like deep truth. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I would love to hear any information you have about Arcturians and just whatever resonates from what I've said to respond to, I guess. Sure, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll start with the eye-gazing thing because, you know, that's, that's a really beautiful place to start with wisdom exchange and knowledge exchange because, you know, as I said originally, like the question that, arose that gave the gift to my awakening process of actually discovering who I am, why I'm here, what am I supposed to do, what is the missing piece in all these questions in school, like what is the hidden underbelly of reality, you know, how do I flip the dragon over and find its, you know, warm, yummy belly? And 
and the answer, the, the question was, you know, uh, how is it that you feel it when someone's looking at you? And, and that question gets much deeper when you say, what happens when you look into someone else's eyes? You are, you are experiencing a portal, which is not just eye energy streaming from your eyes at them, but also can be receiving, is receiving light from all directions and from the other person. So now you're talking about two pairs of energy streams totally syncing up, aligning, and exchanging data live. Like it's literally the live neural net hookup that you know science and technology has been trying to figure out lately it's just right there it's in our eyes it's actually in what we see and how we are looking at what we see that that information exchange occurs like straight there right to the core of our neural network and it, that's why looking in people's eyes is so powerful and i mentioned past life experiences well here's a gift for you listeners you know one of the most potent ways that I have done past life recall with people is by doing eye gazing and sitting with someone else, a partner that, you know, you want to sit with and do this work with and literally just staring into each other's eyes and allowing your mind to quiet itself and just bring up, how do you know this person? Just ask yourself that question. How do I know you? How do I know you? How do I know this person? Just silently asking that question with that neural network contact. And you'll begin to actually literally see their face change. You'll begin to feel the person change. You'll feel emotions come up. They may be what you call good emotions. They may be what you might call bad emotions. I've had that experience many times. Yeah. They will be, it could be intense. And, and a lot of the people that we have the deepest uh, experiences with, you know, lifetimes worth of experiences with, or very intense experiences in other times, the moment we look at them and our eyes connect the first time, we're already feeling the emotion and the energy exchange occur. It might be that you killed each other and it's repulsive and it's intense and you're like, I don't trust that guy. I don't know why. I don't trust that guy. You know, or it might be, you know, you had fantastic intimate tantric sex with this woman, you know, and you look in her eyes and you're just like, Swing, you know, it's just you feel it right away. Yeah, I think I'm having that feeling right now. And, this <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, you know, how deep our connection goes with people in our lives and with the people that we've been connected to for, for lifetimes. And a lot of the work that I've done around recovering information about galactic species has not only happened from astral eye-gazing and connecting with other beings on other planets and going into starships with my astral body and talking to star ambassadors and standing out in the middle of nowhere under the stars and talking with the stars, talking with, with beings that are in starships up in the sky and watching them fly their starships as confirmation of the information I receive. So I say like, da-da-da-da-da, they say da 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 da, and I'm like, "Did you mean this?" Da 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 da, and shoom, shooting star, and it takes a ninety degree angle check mark, you know. And I'm like, "Okay, got it. <laughs> Thank you for the confirmation." All right. Um, there are ways for us to confirm these kinds of higher level spiritual exchanges and energy exchanges. 
Um, and, and so, you know, for me, uh, a lot of my study of history on this planet and history in the galaxy has come also from connecting with people on this earth, friends of mine who actually have memories of being on other planets and memories of other species. Um, and those memories have come through dreams. They've come through, you know, meditations or psychedelic experiences, deep journeys of different kinds. And this, the information has surfaced inside of them and they're trying to put together the pieces. And, and usually by connecting with someone like me, um, I'm, I'm helping them to put the pieces together because of the information network that I've been building, which is to, you know, connect all of these threads, uh, to see the big picture of how all these things fit together. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've encountered many Arcturians, um, you know, in my experience, uh, I've had some really, really interesting, um, things come up about the Arcturians, uh, for, for one, you know, I was working with a woman who used to be a project manager for Hewlett Packard. She ran literally, you know, a thousand people coordinating their jobs and coordinating their work and, and coordinating their projects and, and running these huge teams. Brilliant woman had massive, uh, challenges physically where she had these neurological problems happen and be in the hospital and have these these like severe crazy issues come up in her physical body and in her brain and um and at one point i was working with her on a project called campaign 2020 and uh we were working with the 2020 fund and doing this this work to basically develop a mission oriented campaign to unify all of these different global strategies for sustainability and for, you know, um, forward thinking about the future of earth and mankind, uh, to align at 2020 as a major goal point that we need to reach. And, um, and as we were doing this work, we, she, you know, the, her issues her physiological issues came up and, and then we decided to do a meditation and we were doing eye gazing and dropped into this meditation to identify like what was going on inside of her like why is this happening to her why has she had this issue and immediately we tune in and there is a galactic ambassador who shows up and wants to help us understand this issue and he's got long blonde hair and he's a pretty nordic guy you know and wearing a nice outfit and a dope you know bridge of a starship and she and I are both seeing him you know I'm like are you seeing it she's like yeah I totally see him we're, we're yeah and she's a he's holding out a crystal and he's she's trying to show me something and pointing at my head I'm like I think he's saying that the crystal is in your head and she's like that's definitely it and and I'm like oh I'm like it I think he's saying that this is like a brain crystal that's blocking some piece of consciousness in you. It's actually like a, some kind of shield net to keep you from remembering something. She's like, that's totally what it is. I know it's right. And I know it's time for me to remove it. That's why I'm here. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, maybe he can help us remove it. Can he help us? And he's like, yeah, of course. And so together 
we remove this brain crystal, this like light network crystal that she had installed somehow into her energy body, and we pull this thing out, as soon as it comes out, all of a sudden, she turns into like a flood channeling, speaking, like torrent of consciousness. She's like, oh my God, I'm Arcturian. I came here on a mission to do work with my Arcturian team to basically get these different neurological diseases and issues to transmit the keys to healing them back to my team so that they can then, you know, or actually just even the issues themselves transmit the information about the issues so that they can de decode some of the healing processes, transmit that information back to agents here on the planet and help humanity move through some of these more challenging neurological issues mm. that people go through. And, and she's like, you know, I, this is a secret mission. I had to block this information so that it wouldn't interfere with my process and doing these missions. And she's like, oh my God, I can't believe it's taken me this long. And she, you know, she's got kids, she's in, you know, late forties and, mm -hmm. um, and she just, she just completely understood her whole life and context all of a sudden. And she got it. She's like, this is why. This is what I've been doing. This is why I've been doing these project management. This is why I'm guided to do this work on the planet for campaign 2020. And um, it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. And that was the first time I met an Arcturian who had a deep secret mission. And I have since met several others who describe to me experiences where they like know there's some reason why they keep creating this experience and they don't know why. And sure enough, it ends up being a similar thing where they're on a secret mission. They've got a special block set up and they meet me or somebody else at just the right timing to remove the block so that once they've completed enough of their mission – and then, bam, they remember their Arcturians, their admission team, blah, 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 blah. And so I realized a lot of Arcturians are definitely on these, like, deep, deep missions for planet Earth and for each other and, and, uh, and for the galaxy. And, and I think they've been that way for a long time. And what I know from my personal experiences going to Arcturus um, is that they, the Arcturians developed a knowledge of genetics a very long time ago. And they've evolved their proficiency at working with genetics over, you know, 100,000 years to the extent where the original genome lines of Arcturians is, there is, I mean, there's no way to say Arcturians look like this because they don't. They look like every kind of humanoid and transhumanoid you can imagine. There are Arcturians with wings. There are Arcturians with fins. There are Arcturians that have every body color and every body type. Um, the, the, uh, the process that they've been through physically is just, is just amazing over, over all this time. And they believe in freedom of physical embodiment. So you're free to choose what your vehicle is that you want to be in. Um, in terms of their culture and society, a lot of their temples on the Arturian home planet where they evolved from are all underground. The planet is very much like Mars on the surface. It's older, doesn't have much water anymore, but most of their temples and infrastructure are built down into the planet. 
They have huge caverns where, you know, whole massive starship pipelines fly through inside parts of the planet. And, you know, schools and cities and infrastructure, halls of records that look like the mines of Moria from, you know, um, the Lord of the Rings. And, and just amazing ancient stonework and work with crystals is one of their key things. As well as many of the initiations um, from the Egyptian cultures... Uh, that involved going into the dark, going into deep temples or diving into the water inside of temples in the dark and having to locate things and, and go through initiations. Finding the light in the dark is sort of one of the key, key teachings and phrases that the Arcturians have brought over the generations. They've also, they're also pyramid builders, so they build pyramids on all kinds of planets, and I, I believe that partially they've probably been responsible for the pyramids here. Mm. Um, and and I, also, uh, I also learned uh, through a lot of deep transformation and a lot of deep challenges that the origin of the reptilian species, which is a subject that I think is probably too deep to get into in this call um, or in this in this session with you right now. I mean, we can if you want, but um, I will just say that the origin of the reptilian species, and this may put together a lot of pieces for a lot of people, um, is that there is an entire. Uh, series of species of massive dragon beings in this galaxy and in other galaxies. And now I, when I say massive dragon beings, I mean like the ones out of the highest legends, like the huge, massive Celtic dragons and the huge, long, serpent-like, you know, sky-crossing dragons of the Orientals, um, these, these beings are not just spiritual beings and mythological beings on this planet. These are actual beings, um, from other planets who have also astral bodies and spiritual bodies and many spirits of dragons have lived on this planet, possibly even physical dragons at different points in time. But these are majestic, amazing, incredible creatures and and these beings have a deep, magical, innate knowledge of space-time and elements and how to work with and transform and transmute information and elements in space-time into greater coherence. You know, imagine a dragon eating a field of chaos and digesting it into perfect, pristine order and birthing and a gemstone of consciousness like energetically this is kind of the idea and what the Arcturians were attempting to do was to bridge somehow this massive wisdom and consciousness and knowledge with the humanoid species you know which which have been trying to master that stuff and trying to figure that out and embody that more deeply and they wanted to bring that together to build a bridge between the dragons and the humanoids. But there was a problem. First of all, dragon politics are pretty complex, and understanding the, na the nature and the hierarchy of dragons is something that is beyond most humanoids. I mean, I, I don't know if any humanoids besides ones that have been dragons can really grasp the nature of their society and culture. Um, so... 
the Arcturians took some DNA and they took it without permission. And they merged this DNA with humanoids and, of several different kinds of species. And voila, you birth the reptilians. And the reptilians, or draconians, as they were probably originally thought of in terms of translations of names and things like that, um, evolved on their own planet, you know, as a, as a hybrid species. But there was an issue. And the issue was that dragons were follow a lot of times their own genetic lines to birth into new bodies. So all of a sudden you have dragons that are the size of football fields dying and traveling along their genetic spirit lines to be embodied again and getting born into little humanoid, you know, bodies that were that didn't have giant wings that couldn't fly that were like raptors you know that are kind of hunched over because they ha they didn't have the full you know upright articulation it was an odd mix in the genetics and and all of a sudden you've got a soul who's like what the am i doing in this little body ah mm -hmm. i'm bigger than this uh -huh. i am more powerful than this <laughs> and so from the moment they're born they're angry and they're like and every moment of their living expression is about how do i prove that i am as big as i can be mm -hmm. how do i prove that i am as powerful as i am mm -hmm. and and struggling with that with the humanoid process of like yeah i'm powerful you know hu humanoids have different egoic structures and physiological structures. And the result was basically a species that ended up with a culture very much like the Klingons in Star Trek, a culture that's based on overcoming and battle and challenge and facing authority. And if your authority tells you you can't do something but you know you can, you kill that authority or you overcome the authority in battle to show that you are right you know, and, and that was not so good for this galaxy. Hmm. Let's just lay it out real clear. That was not so good for this galaxy. And ah, boy, was there some karma there for some of the Arcturians that were involved with that and that birthing process. Um, and also for the dragons, um, because, you know, the dragons that came in, you know, at first it was unintentional. They were just getting born along their genetic lines, as well as a bunch of humanoid beings being born into these reptilian bodies, too. And now you've got, like, conflicts inside the reptilians where you have, you know, these masters that are now creating slaves in their own race. And then their whole process is then enslaving other races and um, and it became this very, very, uh, very strange kind of unfolding of drama in this galaxy and, and, and karmic lessons to be learned. So I lay that out to, to give this picture because I think that, you know, one of the things that is not well understood, and I'm going to do a whole series on this in galactic history and talk about this in depth, but we often point the finger at species and at beings and at our, our governments or at black ops or whatever, and we say, they're doing this to us and they're bad, right? These people are oppressing us and they're bad. But we don't as often ask the question, why are they acting this way? Mm -hmm. Why are they doing what they're doing? 
what is the trauma behind it? And I shared this little bit about the Arturians and about the dragons and about the reptilians in this way because I want to give people context. You know, if you're a dragon and you get forced into this little humanoid body and you're pissed about it, yeah, you're going to be upset about it. You might be upset about it for a thousand years or 10,000, depending on how your timing looks, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's a trauma, you know. And, and I will also say that there were those of us at that time who were dragons who decided that we weren't just going to let this go. And we weren't just gonna like, like literally let our half a bunch of our species, you know, get born as reptilians and go through and literally destroy, you know, species in another galaxy. And so we decided as dragons to come and be born as humanoids and face our own darkness, face our own shadow, face our own people to help them break through this trauma. And that is still happening and it has been happening for a very very long time and we have made immense immense progress in this and i will also say that a lot of the fears of the reptilians coming and invading planets that's old stuff old stories that happened a long long time ago that was the story of star wars and it all went down the whole robot armies and all of that stuff that was all the reptilian armies The clone soldiers were the Zetas, and they were programmed to be soldiers to help us fight the reptilians, and they turned on everybody because they had programs installed through chips in their brain. Sound familiar, everyone? Um, And, and, you know, all of that went down already, and I'll unpack more of that in my my series on galactic history. But, you know, now we're in a state of time where there are still... A few, it's not as many, but there are still some of these ancient reptilian dragons who are still trying to take it out on humanoids. And, and at, they're doing it usually as humans on other humans because on this planet they can actually play those games and there's not any regulation because they're humans. We're on a new planet. You know, we're, we're not even part of the galactic community yet. So we have to regulate for ourselves. So here on this planet, we're facing those karmas. And part of the role for people like me, and I think people like you, and, and probably some of those people listening, is to realize that we're dealing with some ancient karma and some ancient sanskaras and wounds and trauma. And it's time to heal those wounds. That's why they're in our face right now. It's time because we're again faced with the possibility of destroying our own planet, a planet that we love, a planet that is so beautiful and is so loving and is so abundant and so giving. And it is critical right now that we learn to take responsibility for this planet, that we take responsibility for our actions and not be hard on ourselves for the fact that you have to throw a bunch of crap away that doesn't biodegrade because that's not your fault. Everything that you're given at the store is given to you in packaging that you didn't design. If you could make it biodegrade, if you could make it melt away and transform, you would, right? You would. Mm-hmm. So the, the challenge is not to get hard on yourself about the things that are really difficult about the way life is right now. 
The challenge is to learn how to put your actions into leverage so that we do end up with those biodegradable packages, so that we do end up with building things that are cradle to cradle, mm-hmm. so that we do end up with the kinds of skills and techniques we need to bring our planet back into balance. I know that was a lot. Yeah, that's great. Great <laughs> information. Um, wow. Let's uh, allow that to sink in a little bit. So, thank you for sharing all that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's great. Um, great information, great stories. Um, maybe you have some insight into my specific mission. Mm-hmm. You know, from what I know of Arcturians, from what you've said, and from literature that I've read, they are very mission oriented. And I definitely feel very driven in the work that I'm doing to peacefully connect as many people as possible to each other into this information that we're mm-hmm. sharing. Mm-hmm. And as I've been doing that, um, people like recognize me all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like all the time, people are asking if we've met before. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. and sometimes we have, but most of the time we haven't. And also the people that I do know tell me that I'm in their dreams, you mm-hmm. know, so I'm very active on that plane and I don't even really remember my dreams that often, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we were talking before we started this podcast about all the wonderful things that are in my life. Um, I feel like even if I don't 100% cognitively like see it, mm-hmm. what my mission is, that I feel it and yeah. I'm, I'm acting it. Right. And I feel invincible in a way because I feel like now that I'm in tune with what my mission is, mm-hmm. you know, my protectors, which people have told me, you know, I have protectors with me at all times, mm-hmm. are kind of looking out for me that nothing will happen to me until I've completed what I came here to do. Yeah. And I feel very much that I'm walking that path now and that creating pathways and channels for this information to flow freely from everyone and, and for them to recognize that hmm. we're telling the truth. You know, that's yeah. a relative term, but this is our truth that we're sharing for no other reason other than to um, help people wake up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But do you have any insight into the specifics of my mission or do you communicate with other Arcturians or maybe have just insight for me to help connect, you know, with my Mm -hmm. own answers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I find that one thing that seems to be a pretty universal truth with Arcturians I've connected with is that the full picture of your mission will only be open to you when it's when it's time and and it's a staged process because you know the process of your life much better than any other being 
And so you've set up your own agreements about, you know, what those stages of your initiations will be. And let me say this. Um, last year I was in Mount Shasta and long story short, I had this experience at the border that I needed like healing from. Mm. So after I came from Mount Shasta, we went back to Mount Shasta and met two healers and they did some sound healing on my friend and on me. And they had sound healing devices that I had never seen before, like Mm -hmm. more toroidal bowls. Mm -hmm. And as they were doing their sound healing on my friend, you know, I was getting the waves Mm. And I felt that pyramid that you were talking about with mm. your other friend who had the yeah. chronic diseases. Like I could feel a, a pyramid like mm. shape in my head that was uh, very painful and like mm. very tight. And then it, and then it like felt like it was pulled out. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of days later, they did the like the the two healers and the woman's whose house it was like did mm. the human upgrade. Mm. on me where I laid on a table and they Mm. did some like energetic work and like cleared ancestral ties and like Mm. they just did a bunch of stuff and I remember the guy told me afterwards he was like he was like now all the people that you've been trying to meet are going to start like appearing in your reality (laughs) (laughs) nice Uh, and then the other woman was like told me to go to this crystal store and get this book on Arcturians the Arcturian anthology you know so Mm. I just wanted to share that yeah, information. Yeah. Good confirmation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can see clearly that part of your mission is exactly what you're aware of, which is to connect people to this information in a peaceful way. I mean, you're doing it. You're, you're living that. And <clears throat> it's, it's obvious to me because I, I feel also a coherence when I'm sitting with you that I don't often have with everyone. And I also from the moment you took my photo to this moment now, like sitting here and the the process of having this dialogue with you on the podcast, there's a level of clarity and precision in the information that's able to come out of me, which is a direct result of the coherent listening field that you're holding. So you can think about it like your field is filling this space with a very beautiful flower of life lattice that's totally unprogrammed it's like very very receptive it's ready to receive whatever information comes into it without judgment and with total compassion and because of that i'm able to speak on many many different levels and and plug in and start changing the shape and the geometries in that neutral field that you're holding and and that and as i'm doing that you know we're both watching it happen as an illustration uh, that's building a structure that is is able to to then go to the listeners here um, as as they're experiencing this podcast and and give them the same gift this this tangible structure of consciousness that they can take pieces of and use pieces of and you know I, I feel like we've done our best through it to create it in a very modular way. So they might take some good bits from here. They might leave some bits from there. You know, I always say to people, it's completely up to you to have the confirmation of truth for yourself. So never take anything anyone says as total truth. Always let your life be the confirmation factor. Because I guarantee you, if it's true, 
you will have the confirmation and it will happen spontaneously and synchronistically and you'll be like, oh wow, holy cow, like that's interesting. I had no idea, I wasn't even thinking that was true until just now. Um, and for me, that's how I've been able to do science and that's what transpersonal science and transpersonal psychology is, is that you hear, you have an experience, and then you hold that experience as a question of something that could be validated as true. And then you meet someone, and then that person shares a story, and boom, all of a sudden you validate one tier on that experience as truth because it's now externalized in this other person. You didn't have anything to do with it. They just shared with you, mm -hmm. you know? And, and you, for example, you heard my story, and then you spoke your story to it and confirmed a piece. I felt a pyramid in my head and I felt it be removed. I realized something and the next day it was like all of the things that you're going to need are going to come in now. Mm -hmm. Boom. You just, you just activated two of those pillars of truth. Now whether or not you, know, you believed or, or you know, in what I was saying previously, your personal experience is the validation. That's all that's necessary. Right. So for me, it's not like we're trying to identify things that are universally true to all people. We're trying to find the truths that are shared among people. Mm -hmm. And that is enough because, because you know, when you follow those trails enough, they lead to the universal pictures. That's for damn sure. Yeah, that's for, <laughs> that's for damn sure. <sighs> yeah. What a pleasure it is to have this conversation and share this information and mm. yeah, just resonate, you know, it's, mm. I feel like we're in the California that's beyond like fantasy, you know? <laughs> like we're in the California that leads to other places, mm. other levels and dimensions Mm -hmm. And I feel like everyone is pulled here for their own reason, their own idyllic mm -hmm. um, ideas about what California is, but you just get deeper and deeper. Yeah. And I feel like this moment, I mean, there's always higher levels, mm -hmm. but I feel like this moment is some sort of like magnum opus of this mm -hmm. project, mm -hmm. you know, that once we share this with everyone, like, and they can go back to the beginning and see where it started, mm. you know, like mm -hmm. it started on the ground. Yeah. And now we're in space. <laughs> and, and the, and the thing is, is like, we're, we were always in space, right? right? Like that's something people often don't think about is like, they're like, Hey, we're going to send a man into space. It's like, you're already in space. Yeah. You're already in space. Right. <laughs> right? So the perspective is what changed. Like you said before, mm -hmm. But it feels like a very clear pathway from the beginning of this project to this moment right now. Mm. And like they're just every reflection, every person that I've come in contact with and photographed and the information they shared has been like one small step mm. to the point we're at right now. Yeah. And it seems like there's a, a portal and an opening, like a stargate into the rest of the universe. And it's open and it's here and it's a channel and if people want to walk it, they can. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I moved to the Bay Area um, eight years ago, almost nine now probably. 
Um, and I, I moved here because I saw San Francisco Bay Area as the hub of the Rebel Alliance. But it wasn't really just San Francisco. It's like the West Coast. I saw these pods all up and down the West Coast. And I, I looked. You know, I, I drew, After I had my Galactic Council experience, I couldn't go home. I was living in Asheville, North Carolina, and I was like, I'm not going back home right now. I have to keep traveling. That's where you're from. And I, I lived there for seven years. Okay. Um, I lived in western North Carolina for um, uh, some amount of years prior to that since uh, like sixth grade. Um, I was in a little town of Kaluuya and, uh, and then, you know, woke up in the mountains there when I was in high school. And then I moved to Asheville for college because I wanted to get some general ed done. I was going to go to Savannah College of Art and Design, but it's like forty grand a year. Insanity. Mm-hmm. Even though I had a 10000 a year scholarship. It's like, come on, mm-hmm. really? That's education, you know. <sighs> education is – the cost <laughs> of education is definitely one of the biggest problems we have in this world uh, and specifically in this country. Um, so I went to UNCA Asheville uh, to get my general ed done and kind of work towards that. And what I found was um, people that I had known for thousands and thousands of years. <laughs> and I found a whole massive tribe and I started creating underground resource centers and um, building websites and then eventually just dropped out of college because I was learning so much, so much faster through the internet and through my practices and through my workshops and through um, my own research, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, and then I went to a, so a school of healing there. Um, and then I, uh, I ended up doing, um, being synchronistically called to cook, help cook and hold space for a group of indigenous elders that were going to be meeting in the mountains of Western North Carolina at this place called Heavenly Mountain. Um, and found out that it was going to fulfill some prophecy um, where the, the Wyan people had had when that said that when the elders of the tribes uh, meet in the land of the two twins in the eastern mountains, the people of the world will begin to regain their freedom. And I found out that this place, Heavenly Mountain, was owned by these two billionaire twins you know, and the, the place is spectacular. It's got Vedic temples all over the land, huge hotel structures. It's like ready for thousands of people to move there and build community. Um, but these temple structures have gotten old because it was an old Maharishi temple place that they built and n- not used properly and not held properly. And so we end up going there, and sure enough, there's tribal representatives from all over the world, from Japan, from the Great Lakes tribes, from Hawaii, the Pu'uhanua Keke Kanahele, the leader of the Hawaiian Sovereign Movement is there, Orville Looking Horse, you know, carrier of the White Buffalo Peace Pipe passed down from Crazy Horse is there, you know, and all of these tribal elders, Cherokee and Wasak and you name it. And, and I end up introducing myself to them the first night, and it just spurts out of my mouth. I'm here to represent the youth of all tribes not represented here. And, and that was what I said, and that's what they held me to. I was no longer a cook. I had to be in every council and every sweat and every session with them. And that experience with them would change my life. It was five days of fire ceremony. 
and um, and I I was invited uh, by the by Orville Looking Horse's family to help uh, his daughter coordinate a prayer run for world peace that was going to happen. Um, and her brother had gotten in a car accident, and he was going to help her. But so I got called to help her, and we were going to organize literally groups of runners of different tribes and all kinds of people, white people and tribal people, from the West Coast, from from Canada, from Mexico, and from the East Coast in New York, and all run from the four directions and meet for the 10th annual World Peace Prayer Day ceremony in the Black Hills of South Dakota. And so we did this. <clears throat> and um, and I ended up doing this prayer run, uh, as much of the run as I could from New York with them. And, um, you know, we had a a van catch on fire and blow up at one point. I mean, it was, it was crazy and insane and amazing. And we ran, you know, from, you know, anywhere from 50 to a hundred miles a day, mm-hmm. um, with, with small groups of kids, you know, from these different tribes and just busting it. And, and after the ceremonies there, which were some of the most powerful just experiences I'd ever had energetically in terms of beings coming together and white buffalo beings and eagle beings and deer beings and you name it those councils and those circles were just really powerful um i ended up coming out to the west coast and uh and after having worked with all these indigenous elders i got this whole new rebirth being out here um from people remembering who i was and there was this girl who saw me dancing at a party down in the, the at the beach, you know, in in uh, in San Francisco, and I'm dancing, and she comes up to me afterwards, and she says, "Oh my God, I know who you are. I remember you. I remember you dancing like that with the sword among fields of men, like cutting through, like for us, you know, like." And I remember raising my mug to you at this massive table and slamming it down in your name and, you know, and, and all of this stuff that she shared with me that just viscerally slammed back into my body is like, this is part of who you are, by the way. You don't have to do anything. You just be yourself and you make the changes that need to happen for people. And, and then spontaneously all the threads led to me going to Burning Man. Um, and then after my first year at Burning Man, I didn't go home. I went to Phoenix, Arizona and communed with starships and created AdamApollo.info and downloaded all my geometry and galactic knowledge from that time into a website in a matter of a few weeks um, or a month, maybe a month of just straight writing. And most of the information on that site is from then. <laughs> it hasn't been updated. It's that old, you know, it's 10 years old, mm-hmm. but it's still useful. Um, I still get lots of hits on it. And, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, I, I then circulated around the country driving, you know, from Asheville, I would drive and I did the entire circuit, including the prayer runs that I did. I did the entire circuit around this country and all the way to Alaska and back. And, um, and I ended up doing the whole circuit across the entire West Coast like eight times. I drove every highway route, you know, to circulate through all the cities and activate and find ambassadors and find people holding it down. And I realized that there are people in very specific nodes of this Turtle Island that are holding 
the banners and the citadels and the anchors for this world that we're cultivating. We're not alone there. We're all over the place. And uh, but the West Coast was like is like leading edge, you know, paving the way into the unknown. And so it gets really challenging here because we're going into the unknown, you know. And so and as you're going into the unknown and as you're leading the way, there's a lot of like, you know, uh, you know, is that futuristic enough? Is that cool enough? <laughs> Are you leading edge enough? You know, and then in the tech world, it's like, well, shit, if you haven't invented the next amazing tech thing and are making, you know, millions of dollars, then get the fuck out of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging space that we're in of growth right now. Um, and I realized for me, like, I have gone all the way there. I've seen those stars. I know where we're going next. I know what the mission is. I know what the plan is. I got it. You know, I have a tech company. I have family here. And, like, I have allies that are going to hold it down in these nodes. And it's time for me to go back east. Mm-hmm. I'm going back to Asheville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to the hub where I met all of my Atlantean family originally, even though they're not all there anymore. Most of them are all over the place and out here. Um, but I'm going back to those crystal mountains where I woke up and I'm going to go back and I'm going to plant my root there and I'm going to resonate those mountains and I'm going to bring this, this awareness, this knowledge, these practices, this teaching to a place that's really ready to receive it. That's open to it because they haven't gone there yet all the way. And, and that has the kind of roots that are needed to get this information planted into strongholds of reality where we are totally in coherence between what we're saying and what we're thinking and what we're doing. And, and that's what I want, you know. I want that full Jed. Um, and by the way, the word Jed, just as a, as a circle to come back around, in Egypt, the word Jed means the central pillar. And the Jed is actually D-J-E-D. Um, it's actually a symbol which has uh, is, a, is a picture of a pillar, um, the hieroglyph, and it's got three lines going up at the top, and those three lines to the top represent the layers of consciousness um, and the planes of consciousness. So I ascribe them as physical, emotional, mental, and then spiritual is the top. And the root of the pillar is the anchor, in time, you know, it's you're here, you're an anchor to the core of the earth, to the core of the moon, to the core of the sun, to the core of the galaxy, to the core of the galactic cluster, to the core of the universe, to the core of the infinite of all that is. You are. And so, when all of you is aligned with that realization that you're gravitationally connected to the core of all that is just by relaxing, and you are connected to all that you are just by being, then you're holding the Jed, you're holding the pillar, and that consciousness is the consciousness of the Jedi. So, <laughs> welcome. Adam, thank you so much. Um, such a pleasure, brother. Such a journey we've been on, <laughs> sitting in this car in Novato. Yeah, we're exploring the galaxy. <laughs> we are sitting in a car this whole time, by the way. Yeah. Like, we had the idea of like doing this in the spaceship so that we can have total silence. And it's worked really well. It has worked really well. Yeah. And often when I'm driving a car, I feel like I'm flying a spaceship. Yeah. Um, 
But, uh, I mean, I know I'm here and I know that I'm going to have to listen to this several times to absorb <laughs> everything that we talked about. <laughs> so I know people listening That's a talent. are probably super full of information and, you know, this is a special one, guys. And I'm, I'm really glad that we get to share this with you. And I feel like this is a really good point to wrap up and... Maybe at some point we'll do another podcast with Adam because I'm sure he'll have more information, more great stories and wisdom and just to see where he is on this journey. Um, But for now, I think that's probably it. Thank you so much for Mm -hmm. sharing. Mm -hmm. Um, Such an honor. Thank you so much. Your your presence and coherence, as I said, is just absolutely wonderful. And I'm honored to, to count you as a friend and to know you in this life. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you would like to add before we before we wrap up? Oh, just you know, I love you and thank you, and I'm so stoked to see what you're creating in this world and to see more of your amazing photographs and to hear more of these great podcasts. Um, is there a name on SoundCloud that people can look up to find these and and other things? Definitely, this is Souls of Society. Um, mm-hmm. I guess this specific one will be grouped in the Souls of San Francisco branch because I'm the ambassador of that branch. Nice. Um, we will be expanding to other cities throughout the rest of this year and next year, and I feel like the growth is going to be exponential, but Fantastic. it will be people exploring their own communities and their own synchronicities to go deeper and just share their knowledge with everyone. Yeah. So eventually Souls of Society will just be a... Akashic Records of sorts for people to just <laughs> see Adam Apollo's picture and be drawn by the eyes and the eye contact and say I want to hear what this person has to say and they click on it and then this is what they get mm, so beautiful I love I love your vision and um, and I, I hope to connect you with uh, with some of my teachers in the Guardian Alliance so that you can do I would some love that. stuff in them and um, for listeners, I, I don't think I mentioned, but you can just Google Guardian Alliance or go to guardian.is um, to find out more about the Guardian Alliance. Uh, you can also find me just by Googling Adam Apollo and you'll see a, a bunch of stuff and a lot of it's old stuff, but uh, it'll give you a good picture of, of who I am and the kinds of realms I traverse. And uh, just honored to be here with you, man. So thank you again so much for having me. Thank, thank you so much. We have officially reached the next level. (laughs) Yes. Until next time. Thanks, guys. Aloha.